right. Now, I've had a lot of people ask me over the last couple of years, when are you going to do a series on the, on the end times? And I want to give you a disclaimer before we start this series. I'm not even a, a biblical expert on Bible prophecy, so I'm going to do my best. I've studied hard, and I think over the next few weeks, maybe even a couple months, I hope that you will get a lot out of this, but be gracious as I try to help us all prepare. And I do realize everybody that has been around for a while in Christendom has studied on the end times, and I have found almost everybody has a different opinion about it. But nevertheless, it's still there. So how many have ever seen a guy with a sandwich board uh, in one of the bigger cities, Seattle uh, and Portland and around? This, this guy's in London, England, wearing a sandwich board saying tribulation, war, and Armageddon are coming. King Jesus is returning. Uh, repent now. I remember seeing a guy when I was in New Orleans, Lois and I, years ago, down in the middle of Bourbon Street, which is probably one of the greatest places of debauchery in America. And we're there in the middle of it. Here's this guy shining his light for Jesus, handing out tracts, and people were just ignoring him, but he was doing the best he could. And we have found over the years, and maybe you have done this too, you, you mock people like that, and you mock them, they're mocked in movies, all that kind of stuff. But what's funny is we let a groundhog named Puxatani Phil predict our future every winter. And every year for the last 137 years, since 1886, this rodent has been predicting our future. If he sees his shadow, there are six more weeks of winter. If he doesn't, we will have an early spring. Now, according to Storm Facts Almanac, Puxatawney Phil has an accuracy rate of 39%. And that's what happens when we let a rat predict our future. It's one thing to predict the end of winter, and it's another thing to predict the end of the world. So this morning, we are starting a new, brand new series called Empowered to Live in the Last Days, and we're going to let the Word of God predict our future, which has a 100% accuracy rate. Now, the word empowered has been our theme for 2023, so on your notes, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Empowered means to give power or authority to another, to enable. So I hope over the next month or more, you will realize the Holy Spirit has empowered you to live a life full of faith, to meet whatever challenges the enemy throws your way, whatever circumstances is thrown your way. You have power and authority to overcome any of those things. The last days or end times is not a doomsday story if you're a believer. And you need to know it's a love story. So the last days is another term, and it's simply the study of eschatology. And it means the study of last things, the final act, or the end. Someone sent me a quote a number of weeks ago that says this, biblical prophecy is not given to scare us, but to prepare us. Let me say that again. Bible prophecy is not given to scare us, but to prepare us. Did you know over one quarter of your Bible is about prophecy? And much of it has already been fulfilled, like the prophecies on the first coming of Jesus, uh, which we call Christmas. You need to know, but you need to know this, there are more verses 
about the second coming of Jesus than about his first coming. And many believe the things that are happening right now is a setup for the second coming of Christ. In fact, right around 50% of Americans, this is believer and unbeliever alike, believe the end of the world as we know it is upon us. So that's believers and unbelievers alike. I think that's significant. And I understand why people would think that way. We, were, uh, we went through a pandemic for two and a half years, and uh, some say we're having, going to have another pandemic uh, in the next year or so, probably right around the election. I'm no, just saying. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> okay. We're in a war in the Ukraine, and Russia and China seem to be aligning themselves uh, there are all sorts of economic issues. There are inflation issues. There are national and international banking issues. Interest rates are rising. But let me just tell you this. Interest rates, have, when we bought our first house, we paid ten, almost 10% interest to get into our first house. So you haven't seen nothing yet. Okay, anyway, just thought I'd let you know. Gas prices are rising. How many know that? We have the highest gas tax in the nation in Washington State. Aren't you proud of that? All right. Food prices are rising. There's gender confusion. There is sex trafficking. There's talk of a one-world government, a one-world leader, a one-world currency, and a one-world religion. In Ezekiel 28, about 3,000 years ago, <clears throat> uh, the, it talks about the alignment of Russia and China. It talks about how the two will converge and come against uh, the Middle East, which seems to be happening right now. There have been Russian ships off the coast of Israel uh, off and on over the last few years. If you've studied anything about the end times, you have a right to be concerned for a lot of people uh, are, are freaking out about this, this stuff. And I just want you to know, when I was a little kid, it freaked me out as well. Uh, when I heard about it, the first time I heard about it, I was 12 years old. Social security had just begun a few years before that, and everybody was getting social security numbers, and everybody was saying that was the mark of the beast. And so at the age of 12, uh, they told us in our little church that I attended, Jesus is coming back in the next 10 years, and it freaked me out because I wanted to get married, have sex, and have kids. And accomplish it in that order, by the way. So at 18, it was the Vietnam War. Interest rates were starting to rise. There was an apparent oil shortage, which seemed to be actually uh, co conspired, but who knows. And gas prices were skyrocketing. Uh, gas had never gone over a dollar a gallon. My dad owned two gas stations, and so uh, there was this shortage of oil and gas, and people were lined up over a half mile from where Safeway is now, that's where my dad's gas station was, all the way down past Park Street towards the port, uh, lined up to get gas at my dad's gas station. My dad had a whole bunch of new friends. People would, people hadn't been uh, bought gas for years would say, Wayne, do you remember me? And try to get him gas. Anyway, things were heating up also with Russia and the U.S., Tensions were high in the Middle East, and it looked like we could be on the brink of World War III, and now I was 18 and dating Lois. I was falling in love, and they started saying, Jesus is coming back any day now, and I was really getting nervous because I was thinking, I won't get married, and I won't have sex, and I won't have kids. 
Every, everyone at, at my church told me how life would be so much better for me when Jesus would come and get us and take us to heaven. So I just want you to know if you're 12 or 18 today, relax. It's going to be okay. We've seen a lot of this stuff come and go, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be prepared, all right? Uh, so uh, like I said, those are not real comforting words. Now, since then, uh, I've gotten married. We have two beautiful daughters, two great sons-in-law, and we have eight grandchildren, and now Jesus can come back anytime he wants, all right? But truth is, uh, the story of Jesus coming back it's the greatest news I could ever give you. It's, it's, a, it's not a horror story. It's a love story. So you can write this down if you're taking notes. Jesus is coming back again. So let's look at John 14, where Jesus gives us one of the greatest promises in the Bible. The night before he goes to the cross, in verse 1, it starts out with these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God Believe also in me. And if I have a message for you concerning the last days, it's this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You need to know you're on the winning side. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter what, you win. Now, if you're not a believer, things couldn't be worse for you. No, <laughs> you need to know that. You need to know that if you're a Christian, you don't need to let your heart be troubled. But if you're not a believer, you need to get right with God. It goes on to say, in my father's house has many, my father's house has many rooms. Other translations say mansions. If that were not so, I would have told, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, say these next four words with me. I will come back. We can count on it, folks. He's coming back. It's a promise. And the next phrase is what caught my attention as I was studying this out. It says this, and take you to be with me that you, you also may be where I am. That's the phrase I want you to leave here uh, with today is that where he is, we can be with him also. He's telling us I'm coming back because I want to be with you. I have to make some preparations first. And he's telling us, I miss you. I want to be with you that you may be where I am also. And so this is the second coming of Christ. And if you know the story of Jesus, which I know most of you do, 30, he was born on Christmas Day. He lived 33 years, spent the last three and a half years of those, of those years in public ministry. And then he went to the cross, paid for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. Uh, that should give you great hope, all right? And then on the third day, he's resurrected from the dead. Then he spends 40 days appearing to over 500 people and to give some final instructions to his many disciples, not just 12, but over 500. And then his last words are spoken in Acts chapter 1, which say this in verse 6. Then they gathered around him, all the disciples, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So when it comes to time and dates, I just want you to know it's all speculation. It's not, nobody knows the day or the time. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, 
this is your calling until I come back again. Everyone here that calls themselves believers, you are commissioned to tell the rest of the world about Jesus Christ. And you're, you're here to get the word out, and then as they come to know Christ, you're, equi- you're here to equip them to know the word so they can do the same thing uh, you're doing. <clears throat> okay, verse nine. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So just want you to know, this, imagine standing there, you're talking to Jesus, and all of a sudden it's, he just starts going up, floating up, and you're just like, I'd be there with my mouth wide open. And then all of a sudden his body disappears, and then his feet disappear as it's enveloped in the clouds. And they're looking intently into the sky as he was going, and then suddenly two men dressed in white, which are angels, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? And here it is again. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So just like we saw him go up, he's coming down, and, uh, but he's saying, I have to take care of a few things first. And one of those things uh, is that he went to prepare a place for us. This is marriage language, by the way, in the uh, Jewish uh, culture. They would get engaged. The, the woman would go prepare herself for a year. The man would go back to his father's house and either add on to his father's home or take a piece of land and build a home for his new bride, then go back, and then, then we consummate, consummate the marriage, and then uh, she would come to our new home. So uh, you need to know we have seen more advancement of the gospel in the last 50 years than in the last 1973 years. I hope you heard that. That means uh, in the last 50 years, then in the last... Then in the last 1,073 years previously, more people have come to Christ than the history of the world. And it's unmistakable that we are living in a generation that is ushering in the greatest world revival we've ever seen. Now, some of you might be saying, well, Pastor Doug, I don't see that happening in the United States. And that's because of the 193 sovereign nations in the world, the gospel is growing faster and those populations, except for 17 of them. And America is one of those 17. In fact, there are five that are actually in decline, and there are 12 that are just stagnant, and America is one of those stagnant nations. But there is a massive revival taking place throughout the world right now. Judas don't hear about it. Do you know where it's taking place? In Muslim nations. And people are getting saved in these nations. Miracles are taking place in these nations where bold Christians have said, I will go where no man has gone before, even if it means putting my life at risk. And they're seeing people get saved, miracles take place, and they are trusting God for amazing things. It's also, you need to know, beginning to happen in America. But you just don't hear about it in the news. And so revivals are taking place. I had a guy call me this week that has a business And he told me how a guy came in and said, "Uh, I need some money. Can you give me a raise? Uh, He just was uh, freshly out of jail and all sorts of things going on. And my friend uh, said, well, before I give you a raise or talk about money, 
have you ever heard of Jesus? And this guy said, this guy's 24 years old. He said, I've never even heard of Jesus. I don't know who he is. So he shared Jesus with him, led him to the Lord, then gave him a raise. And uh, pretty, pretty cool. So it's all happening in our lifetime. Now, <clears throat> I, I want you to know today, Jesus is coming back. In fact, there are over 300 references in the New Testament of the second coming of Jesus or the end of time. There are 216 chapters of 260 chapters of the New Testament that either talk about Jesus' return or the end of time. Uh, there are 23 of the 27 New Testament books has something to say about Jesus' return or the end of time. And that's why this is so important because uh, there's so much real estate in our Bible given to this topic. If we miss this topic, we're missing one quarter of the Bible. And I don't want you to do that. So we're going to uh, continue to talk about this for a number of weeks. Now, I think most of us are sensing that there's change in the air. There's more violence, more inflation, uh, craziness, just things don't make sense to a lot of people anymore. What used to be right is wrong. What is wrong is right. And uh, there's also the invention of AI and all sorts of things like that. And the Bible warns us that, especially Christians, that going uh, through the culture of the end times is going to be tough. It won't be easy. And so we as a church want you to know we don't want you to grow cold. In Matthew 24, it warns us, Jesus warns us, the love of many Christians will grow cold in the last days. So as we, we as a church don't want to see that happen in anyone's life. We want you to get hotter and hotter for God. The Bible's clear. We need to prepare like a bride uh, for a wedding day. So Jesus is coming back for a relationship, not an organization, not a building that's called a church, but uh, his bride, and he's coming to get her on their wedding day. Now, have you ever seen a bride get ready on her wedding day? We raised two daughters, and we have seven granddaughters. And just talking to them, you know that they're looking for Mr. Wright, and they're all excited. And, and what happens is our two daughters, they were... They were just wanting to make sure they were in great physical shape, look their best, looking for the right dresses, all that kind of stuff. And then they were looking to see who was going to be in their wedding, who would be the bridesmaids, who would be the groomsmen. My wife had seven bridesmaids. I ran out of friends at far away. I was out in the highways and byways. Would you like to be in my wedding? I, I'm not kidding you. It was, I was on a mission to find a friend. I said, can you, can you cut this down a little bit? No, I can't let her not be in the wedding. And now, I don't think, I think we only associate with one or two of all those seven. But anyway, that's another thing. All right. <clears throat> so this bride, she's on a mission. She's preparing. She's focused. She's busy making a list to invite people to the wedding. Another reason it's so important, though, this study is for your comfort and encouragement because the truth is most people are full of fear these days. And if you're a believer, you need to know, I could not have better news for you no matter what we win. Jesus is coming back. So you need to know today, Jesus loves you. This is not a horror story. It's a love story. So let me show it to you in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 18. According to the Lord's word, and we just read it in John 14, we tell you 
that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left with and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now the words caught up there is the Greek word harpazo, and this word means to suddenly snatch. So how many have ever played the card game spoons? You put eight, there might be eight people in the game, seven spoons are on the table, and the cards are passing, and you're trying to get a match as soon as one person gets the match, they snatch the spoon and everybody drops their cards and goes for a spoon and one person gets let, left out. Well, that's kind of what it's talking about here uh, in this, this word. It's talking about that Jesus is going to come and snatch his church up. All right? There's another word for caught up and it's the word rapture. And it's where we get the word rapture. So there will be a snatching away of the bride of Christ, which are those who are still alive and on the earth and those who have been who have died previously and together we will be raptured up to meet the Lord in the air. Then it says this, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So I want you to see that the, the main motivation for Jesus coming back is not for horror and wrath. It's to be with his bride that he loves forever. So we're to encourage each other and be full of excitement for that wedding day. Now, I'm telling you, the raindrops of revival are coming, and I want our church to be part of it, all right? So Lord Jesus, send revival in America, in Washington State, but start with us right here at Harbor City Church. Again, I want you to see the language. I want you to see the return of Jesus is not about wrath and horror, but it's because Jesus misses you. And why is that? It's because we are a family. We are not an organization, like I said. We are his kids. And the only thing God gets out of this through his death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the only thing that he gets out of this is us, you and me. So that's his main motivation. The world says you're just pawn scum. The world says, you know what? You just crawled out of a pond. You had a tail on you. Then you eventually lost the tail. Then hair began to cover you. And then the hair began to decrease. And and then it left your whole body except on your head. And then it all, and then what happens is we begin to believe. Listen, if you believe in evolution, you don't have a purpose. You don't even know why you're here. And that's why creation, intelligent design is so important. And I want you to know this. All it's telling you is that you're goo and you're goo to you by way of the zoo. That's what it's talking about. And I just want you to know God made a purpose for your life. Okay, now look at this. The first two chapters of our Bible start out with man and God living in perfect harmony. And then sin and chaos enters in. And the last two chapters of the Bible, it shows man and God in perfect harmony once again. Look at these verses in Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the earth 
passed away, had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So this earth is no longer going to be here. We're getting a new earth. We're getting a new heaven. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more cancer, no more ALS, no more diabetes, no more Parkinson's. And then he says, there will be no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is why. That is worth an applause right there. For those of us who are older are looking forward to that, to you young people, you're thinking, oh, I got 50 years, no big deal. But it is a big deal. All right. But some of you would say this, uh, Pastor Doug, my life is a mess. And many people talk about themselves or talk themselves out of receiving the love of God because they say their lives uh, have made so many mistakes and made so many failures, and uh, I know they'll say, I know he's forgiven me, but I don't see how he can love me with my life being such a mess. And it's hard for some of you to process the love of God, but let me try to illustrate it this way. Uh, my wife said I exaggerate. I, I, don't think, I don't think I'm exaggerating this, but anyway, we talked a little bit about this. We have eight grandchildren, and the oldest now is 21, and the youngest is 10, and, and he's a boy. But when they were little, four of them lived with us in our house. And the truth be known, they were disgusting little creatures. (laughs) They pooped in their clothes. They slobbered on everything. Their hands were always sticky. And a couple of them had shrieking cries and could cause disruption at any time and at any place. But Lois and I adore them. Why? Because they're ours. That's why. And now that they are older, we pray for them because they think they know more than they do. They, they're know-it-alls at that age, and they are argumentative at times, and, and we try to rationalize and talk with them, but they know it already, and so they make messes. They make relational and friendship kind of messes, but guess what? We still adore them because they're ours. Now listen to me. God sees your messes. God sees you and all the mistakes you've made, but he adores you more more than any human on earth, more than any mom, any dad, any nana, or any papa. They don't come close to how much God loves you. He's crazy about you, and he longs to be with you. If he had a refrigerator, he'd have your picture on it, all right? Just saying. And some of you are thinking, well, that's great, Pastor Doug. I'm glad about that, but I still got to know, and you can write this down. Are we living in the last days? And the truth is, that's kind of a silly question because the moment you're born, you start living your last days. And if you knew you were in your last days, uh, would it change how you live? Now, I'm, gonna, I'm approaching 70 here shortly, and I just want you to know, every day could be your last day. So you need to approach it with wisdom. Look at this. First Thessalonians 5 says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you, for you know very well <clears throat> that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So is he saying, lock your doors, buy insurance, all that stuff? No. 
You might, though, just for the other thieves that are out there. All right. But it says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, uh, and they will not escape. Now, let me just say, you will not know the day nor the hour, but you will know the season. It's just like a pregnant woman. How many know when you've seen a pregnant woman and her belly's out to here? I'm getting close, but I'm not quite. It's out to here. And what you say to you, you say, oh, Lord Jesus, help that woman. Bring deliverance quickly because she's about ready. Now, you don't know the day or the hour, but you certainly know the sign of the season. So you can know that uh, as it goes on. And so I want you to know Jesus is giving us signs to let us know the day is approaching, all right? And then it goes on to say this, but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. So let's stop for a moment and let me just say this. I'm telling you all this so you won't be surprised. I don't want you to get to heaven and say, well, Pastor Doug never told me about the second coming of Jesus. I want you to know, I'm telling you now he's coming back. And some of you might be thinking, well, I don't believe in God. Well, that's fine and dandy for you, but I want you to know that won't stop Jesus from coming back. Okay. He's coming back whether you believe it or not. It goes on to say here, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Now, that word wrath there means judgment, all right? But to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. In other words, things may get bad, but Jesus is coming, all right? So before we get into all the details of the spirit of the Antichrist and 666 and the battle of Armageddon, which I hope to get there a little bit, I just wanted you to know you need to not walk in fear, but in faith and be encouraged about the coming of the Lord. Okay, so far, I've given you what Jesus promised. He's coming back. I've told you what Paul told us about the second coming. We don't know the day or the hour. And now I want to give you three things Peter tells us that we need to know about the last days. Number one, we should be right with God. If you're not right with God, you need to know this. You need to get right with God. You're not here by accident today. God's here to talk to you to say, it's time for you to get right with him. And I know God's talking to you because the Holy Spirit does things like that. First Peter tells us this, 4-7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. So you can't pray if you don't have a clear mind and you're not self-controlled. So in these last days, we need to be praying on Mondays online, praying on Wednesdays together physically, fasting a meal during that day, and then fast and pray as the Lord leads you. Then Revelation 19.7 says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. 
Then Peter tells us in his next book, he says in 2 Peter 3, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth will and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. That doesn't mean self-righteous. It just means this. I'm giving everything to God. I'm going to serve with my whole heart. I'll be in the word. I'll be in worship. I'll be in fasting and prayer. And it will prepare us to get ready. And then the second thing Peter tells us, we should rely on godly relationships. In other words, you become like those you hang out with, all right? So you need to hang out with people who are going to make you more like Christ. First Peter says this in uh, chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Aren't you glad for that? Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. In other words, some of the people you don't think you'd want to be friends with might be the people that would change your life. Have them over, spend time with them. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. A lot of people have gotten out of the habit of meeting together since COVID but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Notice that word day is capitalized. He's talking about the day that Jesus comes back. So as you see that day approaching, you need to be gathering. And let me just say, for those who are watching online, I'm so grateful for uh, online services and grateful we can watch the church when we're on vacations or wherever. But I want you to know, if you're just slacking at home, just to slack at home, you need to be here. We need you. We need, I need you in my life. And we, you need our hugs. You need our prayers. You need our fellowship. And you need to be in the house of God. You need to walk down. It's not because you need a sermon always or a, a, a song. You need a hug down the hallway, someone loving on you. So I'm just saying, be in the house of God. So I'm inviting everyone who doesn't have a local church. It doesn't have to be this one. Just find one. Get in one and get solidified so you can grow. Get in fresh, tra- uh, fresh start uh, and equip tracks. Join a small group. Join, be at the men's gathering this coming Saturday. Okay, let me just say, you're going to have a hard time making it if you don't have relationships in your life. Okay, now... With all that in mind, here's the third one. We should do everything we can to make a difference with the time we have left. 1 Peter 4, 10, 11. Each one should use whatever gift he has uh, received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So if everyone speaks, uh, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and, and the power forever and ever. Amen. In other words, he's saying here, as the end draws near, God wants to give us, uh, as he's given us all these gifts, he's given us assignments for those gifts. He doesn't give a gift just by accident. He gives it so you can use it to serve other people and serve them until Jesus returns. So when the end comes, Jesus tells us himself in the book of Matthew, because people have said, well, when is the end? Okay, Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, 
it says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So our heart here is to preach the good news of Jesus locally, nationally, and internationally. So let me, let me close with this story. Remember the last thing Jesus said on earth uh, was in Acts 1. I gave it to you earlier, where he says, we'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, receive power to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And we will have the Holy Spirit to give us this power and boldness to preach wherever we go, locally, nationally, internationally. That's why we have a team in Uganda right now sharing Jesus and, and testifying about him wherever we go. And I believe... Billions of people, there's over 8 billion on the earth today. I'm believing for all 8 billion, all right? Now, I know that's not gonna happen, but I do believe every one of them will hear the gospel. And then Jesus, after he tells them that, he ascends to heaven as they watch. But John gets this revelation about Jesus and who he is in the book of Revelation. As he does, John actually faints when he sees Jesus in his majestic state. But the last words in red ink, if you have a red letter edition, it says this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And get this, do you know what the first thing we do when we get to heaven? If you're part of the bride, do you know what the first thing is? We get to eat. That's what you do at weddings. You, you, you're saying, you're, you're, when you're out in the congregation and the two are getting married, you're going like, hurry it up, get it done. Let's get to the food, you know, kind of thing. Okay, so with that in mind, let me show you a detail that maybe you've seen or maybe you haven't seen. Remember resurrection morning, Peter and John are running to the tomb. Peter comes uh, running in after John because John beat him and he made sure we knew that in the race. And he runs in, they run into the tomb and they, Peter sees the grave claws on the ground, but John notices something about the detail, and it's in John 20, and it says this, and the napkin that was about his head uh, was uh, folded, and it says it was not lying with the linen cloths, but wrapped together in a place by itself. One translation says neatly folded, so the linen cloth cloths were all over the place. The napkin, though, was neatly folded. Now, John knew how important that was. I don't know about you guys, but when I'm eating at a restaurant, not at home, I never do this at home. When, when you're eating at a restaurant and you're done eating, this is perfect, this is, this is a dirty napkin. My wife spilled coffee earlier uh, in the first service and took this nice, beautiful white napkin and and wiped up the coffee with it. But when we're done, what do we do? We wad it up and we put it on the table, letting the server know they can come and pick it up. But this tells us the same thing as it is in our day. If you're, when John saw this, this is what he saw. He saw a neatly folded napkin. So what's that telling us? Jesus wasn't finished. He's telling us, I'm coming back again. Isn't that awesome? All right. All right. With that in mind, <clears throat> let's stand up. So over the next few weeks, my job is to increase our faith and make us aware of the second coming of Christ and how you can approach it with faith and not fear. 
with every head bowed, every eye closed. Now, maybe you walked in here today and you're saying, I don't know if I'm ready. Well, today's your day. Today's your day to take a stand for Christ. Quit putting it off. You're not here by accident. You're here because the Holy Spirit brought you. You might think a friend brought you, but the Holy Spirit brought you. <clears throat> so I'm telling you, today's your day. And you're saying, well, you know, I, I don't know quite how to do it. I'm going to tell you how to do it. You just need to confess your sins because he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and ask him into your life and make him the Lord of your life. And let me just say this. Maybe some of you have been Christians, but you've fallen away. It's time to come home. We call it home because we are a family. That's what it's all about. Now, I want you to know this woman in a moment. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to be bold. Don't hold back. This is not a day to shrink back, but to be bold and say, I'm coming back to you, Jesus. I'm not going to let my past, I'm not going to let my messes get in the way. I'm going to trust you. So right now, I'm asking you, if you need to come to know Christ or you need to come home, raise your hand and say, that's me. Raise them high. Don't hold back. So I can see them. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, here's what we do here. We believe in our hearts. We confess it with our mouth by faith. It's not a formula. It's by faith. So we all pray this together because you're coming into the family of God. And then together, we're going to meet him in the air someday. All right? Pray this prayer with me. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes, and all my failures. Come into my life and be my Savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my King. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand for these folks. Okay, if I can have the prayer team come on up, we're going to close in a song. And as we do, if you gave your life to Jesus, come up and tell somebody so they can help you get started on your walk with the Lord. Your next step is to get baptized in water, get a fresh start. And then if you have any other issues, need healing, need help with your marriage, finances, whatever, get some prayer this morning as we close.